Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And I cannot begin to tell you <laughs> how good it is to be in front of this mic once again. Some of you knew and some of you didn't know that I have been off for the last month. I had a little surgery going on, and now I got a brand new kneecap, and I got a brand new yearning in my heart to get the truth and the facts out to you. You have no idea how good it is to be in front of this mic once again. And a lot of things have happened since I've been out. You know, we've had an election, and we've had the Kyrie Irving thing, and I'm going to say this about that, and then I'm going to leave it alone. My friend Malcolm once said, there's no dignity in sitting in the back of the bus. There's no dignity even sitting in the middle or the front of the bus. The only time dignity is acquired is when you own the bus. Now, sometimes we hurt each other when we call each other out. Now, I like Stephen A. I think he does a heck of a job. But here's the thing, Stephen A. I don't think it's appropriate to call one player out. If the team is doing bad and you want to talk about the team, then that's all right. But when you talk about one player and downgrade him, you give ammunition to our enemies. Doesn't Kyrie have freedom of speech and freedom of thought? And I personally think that when you dog to Kyrie, you give the owners of the net ammunition. They already know they had a losing season coming. So now they have a chance to dock this man some money and save some money for themselves. There was once a book written called The $40 Million Slave, and it goes a little something like this. The only difference between the slaves of the antebellum South era and the slaves that are drawing those big paychecks from either being a professional athlete or being on television in a starring role like a commentary. The only difference is the paycheck because neither one of you are free to speak what you want to speak or think what you want to think. You are told how to act, how to dress, and who your friends can and cannot be. That, my friends, is a slave. A $40 million slave. But a slave nonetheless. And like Malcolm say, until you own the bus, until you own that TV studio, until you own that pro team, you've got to bow down to the massa. Now, some of you need to listen to Malcolm and John Henry Clark. Because when those two men passed away, a library of knowledge closed. Now, I'm finished with that, my friends. Some of you will agree and some of you will not agree. But that is your prerogative. I am just so pleased to be back with you. And right now, I'm going to slip into a little darkness and tell you about a man by the name of Jesse Brown. Snow squalls covered the heaving white caps of the Sea of Japan 
as the mountains of North Korea came into view, and the six dark blue F-4 Corsars of the VF-32 Iroquois flight went feet dry. The rugged mountains were covered by snowdrifts ten feet deep. As they flew on, the clouds broke to reveal the flat, wide-swept expanse of the desolate, frozen, chosen reservoir. It was Monday, December the 4th. 1950. Iroquois flight leader, Lieutenant Colonel Dick Shivoti, banked north as they passed the ruined village of Yamdam Nile, site of the deadly battle between the 1st Marine Division's 5th Marine Regiment and the Chinese Volunteers. The Navy flyers were searching for the Chinese forces they knew were pursuing the Marines. Sivoli looked at his wingman, Lieutenant George Hudson. Beyond him, Lieutenant Bill Koning and Ensign Ralph McQueen kept station. To the rear were element leader Ensign Jesse Brown and his wingman, Lieutenant Tom Hudner. Koning dropped beneath Brown's Kozar and saw a thin spray of liquid. Jess, check your fuel status. Jesse Brown saw the fuel needle drop alarmingly. There was a ridge line ahead. He soared over the ridge and felt the engine shudder. This is Iroquois 1-3, losing power. Mayday, mayday. Brown dropped his belly tanks and ordnance. Wingman Hudner pulled alongside. Okay, Jesse, lock your harness. Open your canopy and lock it. The big bubble canopy slid backwards as the nose dropped. Watch your airspeed, Jess. The rest of the flight watched helplessly as the Kozar dropped toward a mountainside clearing. Brown set up to crash land. Hudner winced as he watched the plane touch down in a cloud of snow and plow across the field, throwing a rooster tail of snow until it came to an abrupt halt in the line of trees bordering the clearing. The others watched for movement by their comrade. Hudner spotted smoke wafting from the broken cowling. There was still no movement. Hudner later recalled somebody was going to have to go down and help. Since nobody was volunteering, I decided it would have to be me. Hudner ditched his ordnance and tanks and throttled back. I'm going in. He set up a carrier approach at minimum speed, flaps down as the ground came up fast. Hudner told himself, this is really stupid, you know. The ground seemed to rush at me as I hit, and then it was out of control, snow plowing across the field and hoping it was going to end up somewhere close to Jesse. With a lurch, the Kozar slewed to a stop as the snow Cloud settled, Hudner saw he was 80 yards from Brown. Now, Tom Hudner and Jesse Browns could not have been more unalike. A graduate of the Annapolis class of 1947 and a classmate of future President Jimmy Carter, Hudner was the oldest of five children of an Irish father who owned Hudner's Markets in Boston. He became a naval aviator in late 1949. Now, Jesse L. Brown Jr. was a sharecropper's son in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. In 1926, 
had a more difficult route to the ranks of naval aviators. Enrolled in the aviation midshipman program after graduating with an ROTC scholarship from The Ohio State University in 1946, and he became the first African-American naval aviator when he graduated from Pensacola in 1948. The Navy at that time had a career officer corps primarily Southern in origin. Brown has his job cut out for him. Hudner and Brown met when they joined the VF-32 aboard the USS Liette in 1950. The squadron then flew F-8 Bearcats. Brown was recognized as the squadron's best pilot, whether all of his squadron mates admitted it or not. When he took a wave off, added throttle too rapidly, easy to do in the Bearcat, and survived a torque roll a hundred feet above Liette's flight deck, he recovered in full view of everyone and made a textbook landing, cool as could be. When the war broke out in Korea in June 1950, Letty was in the Mediterranean. She returned to the United States for deployment to Korea, and F-32s traded up to the Corsars, a far better fighter-bomber. Letty transisted the Panama Canal and crossed the Pacific to join the 7th Fleet in Japan, and she arrived in early October, just after the Aichen invasion. No one knew when she arrived on station in the Sea of Japan on October 9th that they were about to set a record-breaking tour of 92 days before returning to Japan the 19th of January 1951. Her flyers were among the first to discover the Chinese warnings about military intervention if UN forces approached the Yale River were not mere bluster. The now-frozen Yalu River had obviously been crossed by large units. By the time the Marines arrived at the Chosen Reservoir during the second week of November, they had fought fresh enemy troops identified as Chinese. Despite warnings from the Marines in the 8th Army that they were encountering the Chinese Army in combat, Douglas MacArthur discounted the reports and stated in a Tokyo press conference that Chinese threats to enter the war were not being taken seriously. He went further, promising America the boys will be home by Christmas, with Korea fully liberated from the communists. During the early morning hours of November the 25th, the worst Siberian blizzard in a century swept over the Korean peninsula, dropping temperatures lower than minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit. The storm ended at dusk on November the 27th. At 2200 hours that night, bugles blared out of the frozen darkness as Chinese 9th Army Group of the Chinese People's Volunteer Army, commanded by Long March veteran General Sung Shailun, struck every position from the Yudan Nai at the reservoir south to the Koto Rai at Funchilin Pass. The army of 120,000 hardened veterans 
of the Civil War were ordered to wipe out the Marines to the last man. Aboard the Liti, the dawn of November the 28th found the flight deck and aircraft covered with snow. For the next seven days, the pilots flew multiple sorties in bad sea conditions with blowing snowstorms to give support. Without their cover, the enemy would have defeated the outnumbered Americans. And then there was the mission of December the 4th. Badly shaken, Hudner climbed out. The snow was waist deep. It was colder than I had ever experienced anywhere else. And at first I couldn't move. It took me over 30 minutes to get to Jesse's airplane. And I was damn near frozen stiff. Brown's legs had been crushed. It was impossible to pull him out of the cockpit because the broken fuselage jammed him in. Hudner fought to free his friend while Brown went in and out of consciousness. The sun was setting and temperatures dropped colder. A helicopter from VMO-6 finally arrived. Hudner and Master Gunnery Sergeant Hubert Valentine tried to break the plane open with a fire axe. In the last light of day, when he had to go or die of frostbite himself, Hudner realized his friend had frozen to death. The helicopter lifted off in a cloud of snow, leaving Jesse Brown and his Kozar in the frozen stillness. In March 1952, Lieutenant Thomas J. Hudner Jr. was awarded the Medal of Honor for his willingness to risk his life above and beyond the call of duty to save his friend. His award was one of 14 Medals of Honors awarded for heroism at the Chosen, more than have been awarded in any other American battle. In 1970, riots among African-American sailors broke out on several naval stations over poor treatment. Chief of Naval Operations Admiral Elmore Zumwalt assigned then-Captain Tom Hudner to investigate the outbreaks and to institute reforms to achieve justice. Since he was the only white naval officer with the moral authority to win the trust of the sailors, Hudner's reforms changed the Navy. In the years following, as the American military became an all-volunteer force, these reforms were adopted by other services. A friendship cemented on the frozen North Korean hillside in 1950, transformed the military into that part of American society where equality for all has been closely achieved. The Knox-class frigid USS Jesse L. Brown was commissioned on January 17, 1973. The Arline Burke-class destroyer USS Thomas Hudner was christened April 1, 2017. That, my friends, is the story of Jesse L. Brown, son of sharecroppers out of Mississippi. We have all heard about the Tuskegee Airmen, but some kind of way the story of Jesse Brown was forgotten but not by us. 
Rest in peace, my brother. And thank you for your contribution to our story. And rest assured that you are not forgotten. Well, my friends, that music tells me that it is once more that time for me to go. But before I go, I would like to thank all of you that sent me notes and messages wishing me a speedy recovery. And I have made it. I am back. And I am so glad to be in front of this mic. You know, I was off for almost a month. And luckily, I had enough stories to tell you while I was off. But now I'm back. And it's no longer one story a week. Bi-weekly, I'll be coming at you with the truth. So if you like it and you appreciate it, hit me up and let me know. But before I shut this mic down for this day, I got to tell you something. If you carry only one thing throughout your entire life, let it be hope. Let it be hope that better things are always ahead. Let it be hope that you get through even the toughest of times. Let it be hope that you are stronger than any challenge that comes your way. Let it be hope that you are exactly where you are meant to be right now and that you are on the path to where you are meant to be. Because during these times, hope will be the very thing that carries you through. Until next time, my friends, have a good day. And you know it's been my pleasure and my honor.